Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 122nd program in this series. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 19, and I spent a lot of time between verses 23 and 30. What John did was he recorded three specific parts of the event of the crucifixion, and he recorded these things as the fulfillment of Scripture. That's how he described what was taking place. Beginning in John chapter 19, verse 23, it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now this is described as a fulfillment to Psalm 22, verse 18, and I explained this in the previous message, that this is not described as a thus saith the Lord, this is how it's going to be. It was not a prophetic statement in the absolute sense or how we would recognize a real genuine prophecy as we have in many other places in the scriptures that Jesus fulfilled. In this case, what we have is we have a similarity, a similarity in the sense that this is what Jesus was experiencing And yet this is something that was described in the scriptures. And because there is a correlation that is so close to what was described in Psalm 22, verse 18, with reference to casting lots for clothing, because it correlates so well, it is reasonable to say that this was a divine expression, that God was participating in the documentation of Psalm 22. Even though we don't have an absolute statement of thus saith the Lord, there is enough to say that there seems to be a strong correlation such that we could say that God was divinely participating in what David decided to write down as this psalm. So it's in this context that there is fulfillment of Scripture. Now, there can be a lot of discussion about the quality of this fulfillment and the quality of this prophetic inference. But I think there is something more important to find here, and that is how our God reveals himself to us as a person. That we have a God who manifested in the flesh, he dwelt among us, he was crucified, and one of the things that he does while he is being crucified is he quotes from one of the Psalms. He quotes from something that somebody else wrote. A man, long ago, this was David, King David, 
who wrote this psalm, and Jesus makes reference to it while he is being crucified. Now, try to imagine what this would be like if you wrote something down, and then hundreds and hundreds of years later, if you were to find out that this event took place, hundreds of years later, God decides to quote from what you wrote. It's well recognized and well understood that we as believers in our God, believers in Jesus as the Messiah, believers in the Scriptures, it's well understood that to believe, study, and even quote the Scriptures to one another, even to ourselves, to do so is a significant part of our lives. It is recognized that if we want to have a relationship with our God, we would like to know about the things that he has already had to say. And what he has had to say can have a significant impact on our lives and can also be used for us to express ourselves. But in this case, instead of us quoting from Scripture, instead of us quoting God, communicating to others what our God has already had to say, here we have an event where God manifested in the flesh quotes from what somebody else has had to say. Again, consider the significance of this, that we, of course, place enormous value, great value, in knowing the Scriptures, in studying the Scriptures. The Pharisees would memorize the Scriptures. In Christianity today, Scripture memorization is a big part of a lot of people's lives. Why? So that we can quote from what God has said. But looking at this from a different point of view, you can see that Jesus is quoting from what David said. Now, this is an opportunity for us to see a unique bond between our God and humanity, between the God who created us and us, that we have a God who in a moment of despair, in a moment of great suffering, He quotes from what somebody else wrote. Now, I'm not wanting to take away his divine participation and or inspiration in the original writing of Psalm 22, because I do believe that that is present. But there is enough of an absence of information. There is enough of a lack of information that this leaves just enough room to be able to say that God quoted from David. He was experiencing a moment of suffering and he quoted from David who was, apparently, describing in a song format suffering that he personally experienced. Going back to Psalm 22, at the beginning, he says, Why have you forsaken me? And he describes the feelings of being alone and the feelings as if God forsook him. Jesus is here on the cross experiencing great suffering and it could easily be an opportunity for him to feel what David was feeling when David was feeling as if he was abandoned by God, considered to be nothing more than a worm, someone who God would never even consider 
being of help to in that sense. That was the description that David gave in the context of feeling forsaken. So what we have here in what John describes is we have an opportunity for us to see that our God wants a unique connection with us and that he himself is willing to endure great sufferings, especially when something greater will occur on the other side of those sufferings. In comparison, from his point of view, something better, something greater can take place, will take place in this case. There is great opportunity on the other side of the sufferings of life. King David would definitely testify of that. I'm confident that he would say, yes, he endured great sufferings. But on the other side of those sufferings, he grew, he matured, and he knew his God in a way that he would have never known his God otherwise. Therefore, even though it would be better to avoid these kinds of sufferings, God participated in his life in a way that greater things resulted from the sufferings that David experienced, perhaps even to the extent where he would be willing to say that it was worth it, and that if that is what it would take for him to know his God in a greater way than how he would know him before, then of course he would go through it again, or something similar. I myself, I can testify of this in my own life, that I have endured tremendous suffering in my life, and on the other side, of the sufferings that I have experienced, great things have occurred in terms of knowing my God in a greater way, understanding and knowing the world that he created, and it gave me more tools and greater wisdom to be able to interact with the world in the years following. And if that's what it would take in order to get to that point in my life, of course it was worth it. And would I go through something similar to what I endured before? Of course I would, knowing and understanding this. But here what we see is we see Jesus going through something similar. And he quotes from David, a man, somebody else. He doesn't quote one of those scripture passages where God said, and God said. He doesn't do that. So I want you to see what John records here in terms of these small things that are taking place while he is making this transition between being crucified and dying, that this is a way that we can see the connection that our God wants to have with us personally, and that he himself was more than willing to endure similar challenges and sufferings and obstacles that we endure in our lives. And in the end, he will definitely be able to say, yes, I understand, I can relate I know what it is to be a person just like you. Trust me and believe in me. These are things that he could easily say through this, that we can trust him, we can believe in him, we can rely on him, because we have a God who knows what it's like to be one of us. Moving forward into John chapter 19, verse 25, there's this next section that John feels is important to say, and I correlated this to Psalm 69, verse 8, and I read this in the previous message. In John chapter 19, verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister. 
And in verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And in Psalm 69, verse 8, there is a verse that describes how the person was alienated from his brothers, from his mother's children. This is something that Jesus definitely experienced with his own brothers. And so what John records in verses 29 to 27, what he records is he records something that correlates very well to what was said in Psalm 69, verse 8. And this is something that I think we should recognize, especially because in the following verses, verses 28 through 30, John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30, John describes the fulfillment of what was written in Psalm 69, verse 21. So verses 25 to 27 correlate very well to Psalm 69, verse 8, and then verses 28 to 30 correspond to Psalm 69, verse 21. And Psalm 69 was written by David. It was written by King David. So these events, these three events that John describes here, are a way for us to understand that our God desires a personal connection with us. That he will experience the same things that we, as people here on this planet that he created, experience, that he will experience the same things that we experience, and that he's just not all about intervening in our lives and making sure that we never suffer, that we never feel uncomfortable, that we never have any challenges and obstacles. No, we have a God who wants to be with us through the obstacles and the sufferings of life, because it's through these things that we grow and mature ourselves And we can also have great opportunities to grow and mature in our knowledge and understanding of him as a person. And a greater bond can be forged between us and our God when we know that our God has been through similar struggles as we have been through great struggles in our life. You'll find that some of the friends that you probably have are people who have had similar struggles and similar challenges as you have had, and you can form a greater bond with these people because they just know. They know you because they have been through similar difficulties as you have been through. So you can trust them more. You can rely on them more. You can feel closer to them because they know things about you that other people simply cannot relate to. They cannot comprehend. They can't understand. They've never endured the difficulties and challenges that you have endured. But when you find someone who has, then you know that they can know you greater than others can. And you can know them in greater ways then other people can know them as well. And so there is a greater opportunity to forge a stronger bond in friendship and in a relationship with people who have endured sufferings as you have. So also, this is something that God experienced here. And for those of us who can relate to sufferings that are similar to what is described here, 
we can have a greater bond with our God because of these things. And I believe that this is intentional. Absolutely intentional that God did this on purpose because he knows that this is true. Moving forward into verse 31, in John chapter 19, verse 31, we have what happens after Jesus died. In verse 31, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The way that this would work is that if the person's legs were broken, they would not be able to elevate themselves on the cross by pushing themselves up with their legs so that they can get air into their lungs, and so they would die from suffocation. Now, this preparation day was a preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a Sabbath day according to the law, with the exception that you could prepare food. So people would prepare a lot of food, and that turned out to be what people would recognize as the Passover Seder meal, 24 hours after the Passover meal which was done with the sacrificial lamb. So then in verse 32, then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now this is fulfillment of the scripture as well from a foreshadowing point of view. We don't have an explicit prophecy where God said, Thus saith the Lord, the Messiah's legs will not be broken. We don't have that. But what we do have is we have a lot of foreshadowings. For example, Jesus was recognized as being the Passover lamb. And the way that these events unfolded correlate very well to the laws of Passover. And I've explained a number of these things in the previous messages. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, for example, He was recognized as the Messiah on the same day that people were selecting the Passover lambs. He is being crucified on the Passover day. This is after the Passover lambs were sacrificed the evening before. But the day begins when the sun goes down. And so this is technically still the Passover day. It's not an exact match in the sense that Jesus was not crucified at the same time that the Passover lambs were being killed. But it's close enough. This is a fulfillment by a foreshadowing, not an absolute specific prophecy in the concrete sense of the word. And so since Jesus did not have his bones broken, it correlates very well to the Passover lamb, even more than he correlated to the Passover lamb before. In the law, for example, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 41, and Numbers chapter 9, verse 12, that's Exodus chapter 12, Verse 41 in Numbers chapter 9, verse 12, God said in the law that you are not to break the bones of the Passover lamb. We also have a similar passage that could correspond to this in Psalm 34, verse 20, that God would keep someone from having all of their bones broken. So we could say that this is a fulfillment of scripture related to the law of the Passover lamb but not as an absolute fulfillment of prophecy. It would be fulfillment from a foreshadowing point of view. So they recognized that he was already dead. 
Again, in verse 33, this is John chapter 19, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out, which was a specific indication to show that he was dead. This is what happens when somebody dies. There is a separation in the blood such that there would be what we would recognize as blood and water to indicate the separation that results from death. And what John is emphasizing here is the fact that Jesus really was dead. That's what he does here at the end of John chapter 19. He is documenting his personal testimony that he was there and he saw that Jesus was definitely dead. Now, why would this be so important? The reason why this would be so important for John to testify that Jesus died was because of all of the witnesses afterwards who said that they saw Jesus alive. There were many witnesses of Jesus' resurrection at this time in history. And so John was providing his testimony to say, yeah, well, you may have many witnesses who saw Jesus alive, but I saw him dead. And so when you saw him alive, that was a resurrection from the dead. It was not some kind of evidence to show that Jesus didn't really die. He did. John testifies that he was there and that he is a witness of this death, as indicated by the separation of the blood and water when Jesus was pierced in his side. Moving forward into verse 35. In verse 35, John said, And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. That's verse 35. You may believe what? You may believe that Jesus died. This is important because of all of the witnesses who testified that Jesus was alive after this event. That means that Jesus resurrected from the dead. In verse 36, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And I explained this earlier in the context of the foreshadowing of the laws related to Passover. And then in verse 37, And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now, this was a very profound prophecy, especially for me, as it relates to the Messiah. In verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And then in verse 37, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Now, this is a very important prophecy as it relates to the Messiah. This is found in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now, this is a prophecy that has not yet been completely fulfilled. 
it has been partially fulfilled in the sense that the piercing has taken place. They will look on me whom they have pierced. And this is God speaking, saying that they pierced God, which they did. God manifested in the flesh. But the morning of him, when he returns, has not yet happened. And I will explain this more in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 122nd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 19, verses 23 to 37. I reviewed what John described when Jesus was being crucified in terms of the dividing of the garments, the new relationship that was established between Mary and one of his disciples, and the giving of the vinegar and the sour wine. But in this program, I explained it from the perspective of God that in this way he is able to relate to us more because he has endured sufferings that we have endured. And he quotes King David. King David wrote in Psalm 22 and in Psalm 69 about some of the sufferings that he personally experienced. So when God was experiencing similar sufferings, He quoted from a man in order to establish the relational connection to say, I really do know what it means to be one of you. And while very few of us can really identify with the enormous pain that he was experiencing and with the same struggles that King David experienced, we do have our own sufferings in our own lives that we can identify with, and we know that we have a God who can relate to us in the context of the sufferings of life and also in the context of the great things that can occur in our lives on the other side of the sufferings that we experience. We have a God who can relate to us, and we know that we can connect with him, a person who will walk through the sufferings of life with us, having experienced sufferings himself. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net